please open up, if you would please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be picking back up in verse 3 through 31. We are going to attempt to get through all of uh, the rest of this chapter. <clears throat> but uh, we'll see how the Lord goes here on this one and we'll go through this. But let's start right from the very beginning. And I want to read the first two verses uh, because it is very important. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We saw last week, and today there's these two first two verses, and we've said it once, I've said it um, many, 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 many times, uh, not only here at uh, Calvary Chapel North Country, but through since I've been uh, saved and, and started going to church. If you can believe verse 1, you can believe the entire Bible. You must understand the simplicity of that. Because if you question verse 1, you will question anything that goes against your feelings at the time. But when you solidly believe that God is from the beginning, He's the Alpha and the Omega. And you understand, in the beginning, God created. And he not only just created some things, but he created all things. He created the heavens and the earth. And you don't split hairs on these things. You don't sit there and say, okay, it's only certain parts of the earth. Or only certain parts of the heavens. Only certain things happen. You know, he had some involvement in this. No, he had complete involvement. There is no other way that things got created except by him. And once you've settled that, all the junk that has been out there for these years and spewing out there through these textbook and professors and philosophers and, uh, and the, uh, the, the, the scientists of these worlds... They're foolish because they obviously do not know the truth. And it's as simple as that. Because in this first verse, you can see the trinity of things revealed. In the beginning, that means time is now started. There's a past, a present, and a future when God says, in the beginning. Now time has started, the trinity. Past, present, future. We see in the fact that he says here, God created. That means there is a force, an energy now that can be seen. We can see that he created the heavens. That means we see the trinity of space. Space that provides length, width, and height. There's dimensions that have now brought into view. And then we see that he created the earth, which means matter is now available to us. He brought matter into existence from nothing. That means we now see solid, liquid, and gas in our world. Right here in this first verse, 
we see so much that it surrounds us in our visual and all of our senses. The nuclear forces, the gravitational forces, the electromagnetic forces, the trinity of forces that makes our universe work is brought into existence. In verse 2, we see very clearly, he says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the, of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. These verses, as we studied last week, traditionally are brought to understanding that it is referring to the actual beginning of the matter that we see today in this, from with our eyes. And that a creation of nothing into something, therefore, is part of day one as we lead right into verse three here today. We see the very first day of creation coming about with God saying in verse three, then God said, There was a saying, if you had it brought to a position where you said to you, someone said to you, would you rather have sight or your hearing? Which one? If you had to give up which, uh, one of those, which one would you give up? Hearing or sight? Well, right here we see very clearly which one you would want to make sure you had the ability to, to have, and that is to hear the word of God. What changes a person is not what they see by experience, but what they hear of the word of God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God div divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. We see in these first verses the very first day as God brought about all the materials and matter and space and time and everything needed. He started as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God started hovering over the waters, starting as we see in the Psalms, the eagle over, the, uh, eagle over its, uh, its young and hovering and, and bringing about something new. And we see that right here, he spoke and there were, it was light. You notice here, as you continue to verse in chapter 1, we do not get to the sun, the moon, and the stars until day 4. We see that God brought light by the spoken word. So the very first step from the in the beginning of God's creation in order to bring about was to bring light into a depths of darkness that you and I could not understand. Some people call it the black holes. Some people see and experience the darkness that can be, and it's just beyond that. We, most people have never even experienced anything of what that meant. And God doesn't speak in verses 1 and 2 any more than what he has given us. But just like we see in the scriptures, God uses his creation to even to speak to what he does in the life of a person. 
We see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, that Paul speaks about the light brought to us by the gospel, by the hearing of the gospel, the good news. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who in the image of God should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Christ's sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God took this darkness and he revealed light, his light. But if you notice in these verses that we read, not only did he create light, but he also he, and he called the light day and he called the darkness he called night. And if you notice, even with the Hebrews today, you'll notice that even those they today, and many celebrate, a day is from the evening to the morning. Evening starts at sun, sundown, and as when sun rises, that is one day for the Hebrews. But God's, that's how he created, that's how he defined a day, as we see here in the scripture. The evening and the morning were the first day. So the very first day was what? Light is created. Not only was it created, but then he divided or separated light from darkness. He made a distinction of that rotation of the earth of light and dark. We see that God did not have to fashion light with his hands. It was enough for God to merely speak the words, be light, and there was light. Because God spoke and created things by speaking them into existence. Many people today will hear this or read this many verses and think as a Christian that because they speak, that they can speak whatever they want to into existence. But their understanding is wrong with the scripture. Hebrews 13, 3. By faith, we understand that, these, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. But many people will hear these verses in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 3 of Hebrews and take them out of wrong context and say God himself used faith in creating the world. Instead of the truth, which says, by faith, we understand God created the world. There is a difference in that statement. Our omnipresent, our omni, omniscient or omnipotent God being certainly does not need faith to create anything. Because he is the object of our faith. He is the creator. And we put our faith in him, in him alone. There was light. Genesis tells us that light and day and night 
Each existed before the sun and the moon was created on the fourth day. Here we see in verses 14 through 19 of Genesis 1. This shows us very clearly. Is light is more than a physical substance. It also has a supernatural aspect to it. And here we see in these verses that God divined light and dark or night brought was brought about. We see this again in, in revealed to us in the new in the new heavens and the earth in Revelation 22 5. In the the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be any sun or moon. God himself will be the light again for eternity. So this is not something, this is something new from the beginning, but it will, has always existed and will be into eternity as we get into the new, the new world. Some people say, how did God create darkness or why would he create dark? God can't be anything of dark, but that's not true. He, we see in the scriptures that he created night. He called it night. He created all things. We see in Exodus 10, 21, where the darkness God sent upon the, Egypt, the Egyptians had a tangible quality to it far beyond what we think was being or, or being associated with darkness. It, they could feel the darkness of that time. Because that darkness that God brought was from him and that felt that uh, darkness upon the people physically. Because it demonstrated a supernatural element that God brought about which can be related back here to this light and darkness that we see in our scriptures today. But we see here that the defined here which is critical for you and I to take note. When he defines what is a day, the very first day, he defines it that it starts in the evening and ends in the morning. There's a definition of the day. We see here many wonder if it's literally the word day here literally means a 24-hour day or it does not. Many today, many Christians today, many good teachers today believe in these six days that we are describing in chapter one do not literally mean 24-hour days. That they're geological ages. That they believe that God created the, didn't create the world in six literal days. They believe that he, they created in these six vast geological ages that each of these days represent. Though I completely 100% disagree with them. Because the scripture is very clear to us. The Hebrew language is very clear to us. The word created is bara. From nothing into something. There was no material already there for him to create. He created the material, then took that material and fasted it as we see in six literal days. The word day here in the Hebrew language is yom, Y-O-M. It literally means a, tw means a number of or, or 24 hours. We see in the scripture over 2,000 times this word day used. And 100% of the time where it is connected to the numerical value, 
it means the numerical value of the word day. Where it's not connected to a numerical value, then it's a season or a general, a general term used. So we see here in this verse, this word yom is used here because it's a numerical value. It means a time here or the, the times or the miracle value of what he's defining. And he goes as far as showing and defining evening into morning. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall do, you, you shall do no work. You nor, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now when you talk to someone and have them read those Verses out of Exodus, no one questions what it means by a day, do you? Everyone across the board of the spectrum doesn't sit there and say, you're going to rest for thousands and thousands and thousands of years as much as you would like to have that as a parent. And none of you grab a hold of them and say, we must work thousands and thousands of years and not stop. So no problem when it comes to choosing on certain scripture and say, oh, yeah, day means a day. It's 24 hours a day. But when you take it back to Genesis chapter 1 and say this is a day, everyone starts questioning it. Do you know why? Because it's satanic to question. Because if they can get you and I to be confused and doubt what God has a power to do, he will question and put doubt in your mind of what he can do in your life when you're in times of trouble or in times of something changing and new in your life. God created this first day and each and every single day he refers to in chapters 1 and the first part of chapter 2. A day, yom, 24 hours, period. It's non-negotiable for me. I hope it's non-negotiable for you. Study the word, talk to God about it, Get that clarified in your mind if you've had other types of teaching from this verses. We see the second day of creation. We see the second day where now God makes an atmospheric division. He says, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. God took a look and, and as the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, he was taking a look and he brought light. He, 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 he defined and made it very clear what he was going to have take place. 
And the second day, he literally, 24 hours later, he took and he took those waters and he separated those waters. So waters dwelt with on the, 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 the mass that he created. And he also created water in a blanket or a, a umbrella above within the heavens, it says. The word firmament means an expansion or space. The waters of the land were separated from the waters in the sky. Why? The Bible recognizes the existence of water that God created and that it has a plan and a purpose for that water. The waters above the firmament was probably constituted as a vast blanket of water above the troposphere, which is the very first part of the, the atmosphere from the land up not very far, maybe six miles at the most. Then you see the possibility of the stratosphere of being up into the stratosphere, which is the next level within our atmosphere. Then you have the mesosphere, but it could go all the way up to the ionic or ionic sphere, which is where the ions and other uh, things, dynamics that are taking place. Wherever that firmament was, it was in considered the fir that first heaven. Remember, we studied there was three heavens. The heavens where the birds and the and the air where you can breathe and oxygen you can see. Then there's the next heaven, which is where the moon and the stars and the, and the sun and all the atmosphere, the universe dwells. And then the third heaven is where God dwells. But we see here in the scriptures that he brought this firmament, this umbrella, this separation for a plan and a purpose for his creation. Many of the experts suggest several effects why he created this canopy or this blanket. First, it would serve as a global greenhouse maintaining the essentially uniformly pleasant temperature all over the world. It would be consistent of that tropical feel. Oh, don't you just dream of that <laughs> as we go into our new season of winter. So across the world that he's creating has a consistent temperature because of the umbrella or the encapsulate. It's a greenhouse effect. If any of you have been as a kid and created a little greenhouse and you took it to school and you showed and how things and you had to sit there and watch it. And it just the water just allowed the, 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 the nourishment of the land and you saw things grow and it was so beautiful. But there's also, without great temperature variations, there would be no significant winds, and the rain, the water rain cycle could not form. And that's why there was no rain as we knew it today. They didn't know there was rain until, the, until Noah's flood that took place. There would be lush tropical vegetations all over the world, fed not by rain, but by the rich evaporation and condensation cycles resulting from the heavy dew and the ground fog. It also, this expert says, the water blanket would filter out ultraviolet radiation, the cosmic rays, and other destructive energies bombarding the planet. They are known to be caused the, the mutations and cause serious problems to the human longevity. And human and animal lifespans would greatly increase in those times. 
And we see that in the scripture. Methuselah, Noah, we see how old they were. But after the flood, we can watch and see the trend line of the age going down very rapidly, can we? But the water blanket would also provide the necessary reservoir of the potential worldwide flood that God would use to bring judgment on man at that time. Go back to Genesis. You can go to Answers in Genesis. Uh, and there's just a great books. This, the in six, uh, six day creation book. I mean, there's so many references that you can go back to and do your own studies on. Um, but they have found and they have the studies of this and how they even found in uh, geological or uh, discoveries up in the Antarctic where they found animals that have been in, in the ice and that they still have vegetation in these animals you would think are, would be eating. Uh, today we say, oh, they're eating these other animals. That's how they survive. But back in those days, you can see the vegetation within their stomachs. It's preserved. I mean, there's so many discoveries to describe exactly what we see the scripture tell us. That it was different then. It was a perfect environment to watch things grow and not age. Perfectly designed by God. And I can't wait for God to recreate the heavens and the earth. Amen? It's going to be a great place for us to actually experience what God's intention from the very beginning before the fall of man. So that's second day. Now we see the third day, verses 9 through 13, where we will see the land is divided from the sea and plants and all types of vegetations are created. It says here in verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God spoke again during the third day. He says, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So we see the third day here, two new things take place. The idea that before this, the earth was covered with water. The earth was covered with water, and that's all you could see. Now God sits here, and by his word, now he pulls, pulls the water aside and gives boundaries to those waters and allows the dry land, he called earth, to appear. The water he puts in boundaries and puts them in place according to his design, he called what? Seas. 
Many believe that there was one landmass at this time. One landmass that could be seen. And we can know that the fact that God has then used in this place as we see it, everything he created at that time had all of the elements within the land, earth, to create, had all the DNA elements, all of the matter that is needed in the way that God was going to create it, everything was there to be able to create what? To bring about the grass, the herbs, trees that would produce fruit from the seeds that were part of it. And we can see right there in the, from the very beginning that God took that and he was growing within that t- right there. It didn't take millions of years for this to grow. It didn't take hundreds of years to grow. It took 24 hours, and there we have mature trees that had fruit, that had seeds, to be able to generate according to its kind. And all this happened without a sun, without a moon, without stars. God's light brought forth light. So this means that plants must have had sufficient nourishment because of God's light to bring about growth right there in front of us on that day. Now those who propose that these days of creation were not literal days, but days of ages, of slow evolutionary development over hundreds and millions and blah, 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 blah. It's hard for them to explain how plants and all the vegetations could grow and thrive eons before the sun and the moon. Many wonder how the sun, the moon, the stars were created in the fourth day when light, including day and night, was created on the first day. And many people come up with then rationalization and speculation and everything else to try to rationalize that and to justify what they believe. Because when you have a feeling that you aren't willing to pridefully let go based on truth in the scriptures, you will justify everything in anything and do anything to be able to bring about what you believe. So there's nothing new under the sun, right? We haven't got the sun yet, but that's okay. We'll let that one go. Please. <laughs> but I keep it very simple in the scripture. There's no reason not to believe our big God. That God couldn't have started creation in the same way he will end it. Where there'll be no sun, moon, and stars. And he said here, and it was so. 
the beginning of life on planet Earth directly created by God, not slowly evolved over millions of years. And like I said, there's fossil evidence to prove the existence that it created suddenly, not slowly over time. But the earth, God brought forth grass and herbs and trees and with, with the, the ability to be able to have uh, seeds create more. You know the study, right? You take a corn, you plant the corn, you get a, 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 a batch of a, a bushel of corn, you take those corn and you plant it again. You get more corn. You plant it again each, each year. You plant it more and more. You take what you got from that harvest. You plant it all again. And within seven years, you, you fill the entire world with that one seed from the day one. It's a multiplying factor that happens. Can God, can we have a, a point in our life where there would be no food shortage if we would just plant the seed? And allow to then take those seeds and plant them again and create more. God knows exactly how he created things and to make things happen. There should no doubt be a reason for things to be uh, people not to have food around this world. But God in his wisdom created mature plants this, this day. Having the appearance of age, obviously having the ability to produce the fruit that God designed it to be. When he created the orange tree, he said according to its kind, it will create what? More orange, more oranges and more orange trees. Didn't say according to its kind and how it can be manipulated and so it can create, you know, you're not sure it'll create apples next time. No, he created it to create from what he created. There's no confusion there. So the question, the old age question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Very clear. It's very easy. The chicken really did come before the egg. It's not difficult when you know the scripture. And it is according to its kind. This phrase appears 10 times in Genesis chapter 1, according to its kind, according to its kind. It means God allows variation within the kind, but something of one kind will never develop into something of another kind. And God knows what is good. God knows what is right. And he is not some vague, moral, neutral God. He knows what is good and he organizes his creation to result into something good. God does not call the earth good until it has become inhabitable, a place where man can live. Did you notice that in the scripture? Now, for some of you, this is good news or bad news. Take it however you want to. But what this also tells us as we get into our further in our study here of the six days. 
And I hope it's very clear, and I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase it in a very specific way. Uh, I, I was going to say it one way, but I think the Lord's going to just give me some different words to say, more blunt. If you know me, I'm more blunt. I, I, I don't sugarcoat things here, but let me, let me address something that's happening in our culture. Some have come to me over the years, but now more specifically now, we've had these discussions at different pastors' conferences, uh, you know, that people are dealing with in other states and real soon here in New York. But some use this passage that God creates things that are good. And God created the herb, and he created the grasses, and he created this. And that because it's good and God must have created it, he must have created marijuana. And they use this verse to justify that they get to use this drug that we call marijuana. Because grass and every herb came from forth from God, didn't it? But we also know not every herb is good for every purpose. In fact, the use of drugs in this matter is nowhere approved and is always condemned in the Bible. The wrong use of drug is often associated with what in the scripture? Sorcery or the occult. So sorcery is a universally condemned in the Bible, and I will give you Exodus 22, 18, Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, 2 Chronicles 33, verse 6, Revelation 21, 8, and Revelation 22, 15. In both the Old and the New Testament, the word sorcery was connected with the making and the taking of drugs. So please do not take a verse and then don't, and then just wipe away what anything else says in the scripture. You must bring it in totality of what God's intention was. So your social usage of marijuana cannot be used just on this one verse. Does it contradict other verses in the scripture? Yes. And I'll let you and the Lord wrestle with that one. How's that? On to day four. The fourth day of creation, we see that God now creates the sun, the moon, and stars. It says in verse 14, then God said, let there be lights, plural, in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for what? For signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. The greater light is to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. Ah, oh, and oh, by the way, he made the stars also, like it was no big deal. But God sent them in the firm, set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night 
and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw it was good. So the evening and in the morning were the fourth day. God said, verse 16, God made. Verse 17, God set. God didn't just sit there and throw them out there and say, well, let's see where everything lands. It should be fun. I'll ricochet the sun off the moon, off the whatever other planet. Well, this should be a lot of fun for me. Yeah, in the corner pocket over here. God's design is very ordered and deliberate. And he set it exactly the way he has set it. And scientists today who have, want nothing to do with God cannot ignore the order and the specific design of how things work so perfectly together. And they even know that if you move one moon or star or planet or earth, even the slightest, we're toast. Or we're a crispy ice age. Whatever you want to call us, we would be frozen or burn up. But everything was by design perfectly by God, and no one can ignore. They just will not understand the simplicity that God created the heavens and the earth. And he set it in order. He set it in place. He made the fall. It's very simple. Right? Take it right back to the very simplicity of the words. What did he say? God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And each day is what? Defined by the evening and the morning for each day. Very simple. Very straightforward, not complicated. God made the sun and the moon and these lights and the firmament of the heavens to be for signs and seasons for you and for I, for who he was going to create. He says, I'm going to create man, I'm going to create woman, and I'm going to use these to prepare a place for them. They're going to need light. They're going to have to have a difference between light and, and night and, and day and night. They're going to see the seasons. They're going to understand the signs that I'm going to give them in my own creation. Not only signs and seasons, but for days and years, they're going to be able to track the time that I have, have created for them. And he created them. And he knew exactly right down to how many millions of years apart they are supposed to be to make, give or take or, give or, or take away, to make this intricate balance of the ecosystem that I'm going to be creating for man and for woman. Now, when God created them for 
these signs and seasons, a term that we use today very commonly to describe what we see is the zodiac. We see in scriptures that name called Maseroth. It's a Hebrew word for zodiac, and you see that in Job chapter 38, verses 31 and 32. All throughout cultures, Maseroth, or the study, or the, the watching of the signs and the seasons of through by the stars, the moons, and the sun, is seen all throughout every language and culture. Even if the specific names of the constellations changed among them, they were still describing the same thing. We also know the figures of the constellations suggest to us don't look at like those things at all in regards to some of the, the uh, manipulation or the changes by man from the original intent. But the names of the figures of the constellations are the same for all the cultures. So pre-Babel, all languages, all cultures, all across, one unity, understood the signs and the seasons of what God created. Then man thought they could reach God and go to God, and they created the Tower of Babel, and they think they could be smarter and greater than God. And we know the story. God had to then disperse the people across the land. But God has used them, as we see in the scriptures, to speak of, the, of, of things of God. We see references in Luke chapter 1, verse 70, and Acts 3, 21, speaking of the holy prophets since the world began. And many people believe, or in the studies, believe the stars are referring to the stars. He, he says in Psalm 147, 4, and Isaiah 40, verse 26, tells us God has, the stars are all numbered and God has a name for them all. God took the time and a purpose to not only place them, but also number them and give them names. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, tells us the heavens contain a message from God. But the astrologists, the astrologies today have twisted it post-Babel and confuse and come and use that for their own personal gain. Whatever God creates, Satan is always there to what? Destroy. So astrology is a satanic corruption of God's original message in the stars. It's a message outlining his plan of redemption, but astrology is corrupt and is corrupting it, and we are to avoid it now at all costs. We see the warning for us to avoid this in Isaiah 47, verses 12 through 15. So when people say, here's my zodiac sign, and this is this and that, 
Don't touch the, his, the satanic corruption that God, Satan has brought about what God created. God has warned us, do not touch that stuff. Do not believe it. Do not touch it. Stay away from it. God made the stars. With all the other stars in our universe, we often wonder if there is life on other planets. Very common conversation today. You see millions and billions of money has been spent over the years saying there is other life on other planets. But when you take into account all that is necessary for the sustaining of life as we know it, there are very few planets able to support life. Taking the account of the factors, the factors such as galaxy type that contributes to us to be able to live here. Consider the star locations, the star age, the star mass, the star color, the distance from the star, the axis tilt, the rotation period, surface gravity, tidal force, magnetic field, oxygen quality, atmospheric pressures. And there's 20 other scientific proven factors just for us to live on this earth. The probability of all these 33 occurrences happening on any one planet other than ours is mathematically said is 10 to the 42nd power. The total number of possible planets in the universe makes it 10 to the 22nd power. But so many people rather believe that God's word that says he created life for this on this earth would rather not understand and focus on what God's truth and what's revealed to us. Instead, they rather think of other things such as aliens and other life on other planets. Again, a diversion from what God has created and what his plan is for your life on this planet. Now we move to day five. The fifth day of creation, we now see birds and sea creatures are created. How did they come about? Verse 20 says, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God, now here's the change, God blessed saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So we see here on the fifth day that God created a great variety of birds and sea creatures which were created at the same time. Not evolving over slowly over millions of years. 
Even though plant life was created before animal life, animal life was not created out of plant life. And among the diversity of animals, many share similar structures as you study animals. They have birds and reptiles and mammals and so forth, but they this argues at least a persuasively a common designer for why we see common intricate details of different animals. So, oh, well, they all have spines. Oh, look at, look at they all have the, the hooves this way. Or they, you can see a common designer. But not all life did, did not come from the same pre-mortal cells. But it did all come from the same designer. And he emphasizes, God emphasizes here, according to their kind. All animal life is created according to its kind. God deliberately structured plenty of variations within that kind. But there's only one kind. And that one kind does not become another kind. It's one kind with different variations within that kind. For an example, a dog. It's an example that is used by many teachers. You have that little tiny little thing we think we call a poodle is a dog. I think it's called a teacup poodle. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's a teacup poodle. I think it's the smallest little dog if you want to call it that. But it's very different from the Great Dane that we see. But they are both dogs. They come from the same kind, but the variations within that kind. They're not going to become mice. They're not going to become cats. No matter how much breeding is done, they're not going to change the kind that they were created. Evolutionists often give convincing examples. And I'm not going to give any credit to anyone who, who's an evolutionist, so I'm not going to name their names because I really don't matter. But you've all there through high school and college and universities, you really smart people, and, and we've seen the studies and examples of the ratio of the black to white peppered moths and why the, the black dominated over the white and goes over this and that. And they use all kinds of things to, to divide and to conquer and everything. Versus understanding the very simplicity. Why did one, uh, the black moth, dominate the white moth over there? It's not because of evolution. Because they've proven the fact that the black moth stood out more than the white moth. So that they could actually be picked off and taken out by a, a predator. That's the only reason why. The example of the finch, finch, finches on the island about why certain beaks are smaller than the others was some way of evolution over time. The beaks changed. No, because the beaks and the, and the structures changed based on the need to for actually get food versus not getting a food and things adjusted based on that. The moths are still moths. The finches were still finches. 
There's no change outside of the kind. Microevolution does not prove macroevolution. And that's what many evolutionists try to do. The sixth day of creation, the creation of man. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So on the fifth day, we see of his creation that God made birds and the seas, uh, sea animals, but now God turns his creative attention toward the land animals of various types. The things that were created for the sea are in the sea. Things he created for the land, he created for the land. And when we look at the infinite variety of animal kingdom, both living and extinct, we must be impressed by the God's variety or variations and creativity and his power to be able to do these things and his sense of humor. The anteater. The giraffe. The platypus. I mean, you can sit there, and I love when you study the, the God's creation with, with kids because in these days now, you've got such incredible things on computers now that show the intricacy of God's creation. We didn't have that in my age. We had that same little picture, that the one graphic, and it was in all the books. Now it's just, you can see things that have been created in just, down in the micro level. It is amazing God's creation. And he did this according to its kind. It's a very important phrasing that you must understand. God allows tremendous variation within a kind. But there's one kind and will never become another kind. I hope you heard that. That's the third time I said that. Verse 26. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image, according to our likeness, plural. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see the plurality here. The plurality here, let us in our image, according to our likeness, is consistent with the idea there is one God in three persons. What we know as the Trinity, we also, as we studied last week, the word for God is Elohim. Two or more. And he, and the God himself, the Trinity, said we're going to create man out of what? Our image. An understanding of who man is begins. We 
with knowing we are made in the image of God. Man is different from every other order of created being because he has created consistency with God. There is an unbridgeable gap between human life and animal life. Though they are biologically similar in many ways, man is different from every other order of created being because he has created consistency with God. It means that there is also an unbridgeable gap between human life and angelical life. Nowhere are we told in the scripture that angels are made in the image of God. Animals were not made in the image of God. Angels were not made in the image of God. But how many times do you hear in today's world that they say angels are in the image of God? How many times do you hear them say how animals are created in the image of God? They may not say in the image of God, but their words that they choose to define and how they came about is exactly what they mean. But angels cannot have the same kind of relationship of love and fellowship with God that we can Animals, though they are biologically similar to certain animals, we are distinctly in our moral and intellectual and spiritual capacities are different than animal life. And this means human life has intrinsic value. A quality of life experienced by an individual because human life is made in the image of God. He says, in our image. There are three aspects what he means in referring to the image of God. And that is the first one. It means humans possess, humans possess personality, knowledge, feelings, and a will that sets man apart from animals and plants. The second characteristic is that humans possess morality. We are able to make moral judgments and have a conscience. And thirdly, in our image, he refers to humans possess spirituality. Man is made for communion with God. It is on the level of spirit we communicate with God. Now what this does not mean It does not mean that God has a physical or human body because God is a spirit we see in John 4.24. And even though God does not have a physical body, he designed man so man's physical body could have many of the same characteristics, things that God does. And he refers to God, God sees, God hears, God smells, God touches, God speaks, God thinks, God plans. 
and so forth and so forth and so forth in the scripture. But God said, I'm going to create man in our image and in our likeness. Even though the word image and likeness is very much the same, very close to being the same. Image is a reflection of God. A likeness is in our behavior. Our, our, our characteristics of how we carry ourselves are to be like God. God created you to be Christ-like. We are to, he's doing a good work in us to mold us and shape us to be more like him. That's how he's designed. Nowhere in the scriptures do you see that God created animals to become more like him. Nowhere in the scriptures do you see that angels were created to become more like him. Only you and I, man and woman, that he created to become made in his image and his likeness. And then he says that let them have dominion. Before God ever created man, he decreed man would have dominion over the earth. Man's preeminence of the created order and his ability to affect his environment is no accident. It is part of God's plan for man and the earth that we are to be good stewards with what God has given us. And then we will close here, verses 27 through 31. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. In verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God created man according to his plan. As described, verse 26 we see here in the tw verse 27 through 31 a little bit more details. We will then see this is just an overview of how he created man and woman. We will see in chapter 2, verse 14 to the end of the verse, uh, the end of that chapter. We will see how he actually created man and woman. The concept of man being created in the image of God is repeated to emphasize the same idea. The idea that God created man fully formed 
and created him in one day. Fully formed, created in one day. Not gradually over millions of years. Not a progressive evolution over time. Not from some amoeba in the water that came out and somehow morphed itself and changed itself over the millions of years. The idea of a slow, progressive evolution could produce a complex mechanism like a human body is just absolutely foolish. Now, when here in this verse, verse 27, when he said he created him, colon, male and female, he created them. This should not be construed to mean Adam was originally some type of andro, uh, andro, I'm forgetting the name now, a mixture of a man and a woman into one. Being both male and female. Androgynous, that's the word I'm thinking of. But Genesis is very clear how he created man and woman in chapter 2. Many today say that there's no difference between man and woman. That makes sense to someone who has bought in and believed in a mindless evolution theory. But it is true that man, man, male and female, he created them. To God, the difference between men and women are not accidents. Since he created them, the differences are good and meaningful. Men are not women. Women are not men. One of the saddest things to observe and to watch and to see in the culture today is the culture's depravity that the scripture talks about in the end times. So there's not nothing surprising. God already said at the end times this would happen. That confusion would become into society to a point where culture is so deprived that men think they're women and women think they're men. God did not make any mistakes. He did not create confusion. Only Satan creates confusion. And it's futile or worthless to wonder if men or women are superior to each other. Again, if you bought into the superiority between men and women, you bought into the evolutionary wickedness of theory. A man is absolutely superior at being a man, and a woman is absolutely superior at being a woman. That is truth. But when man tries to be a woman or a woman tries to be a man, you have something you've now created as inferior. But God said, I created man. And I created woman, and they have a calling and a purpose according to God's plan. And he says, let I bless you. Let me bless. Let us bless them. So the first thing that God did for man and for woman was to bless him. 
without the goodness of God's blessing, human life would not only be unbearable, but it would be impossible to live. And he says to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over it. That is what he's called you and I to do. He's given us a job to do and we must do. But keep in mind that to fulfill God's intention of man's exercise over dominion over the earth, it's one thing. But inherent in this command is that man should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Man cannot fulfill God's plan for him on the earth unless he populates it. God gave each man and woman a desire, a sexual drive, which would cause the populating of the earth quickly and likely. But many have thought of being fruitful and multiplying was God's only reason and the only main purpose for sex. But that is not the case because the scripture tells us the main reason why he gave us a sex drive. And that is the primary reason was God created the sex was to contribute to the bonding of one flesh relationship in a marriage between a man and a woman. And for a healthy marriage to take place, that must be part of your marriage, is to be one. God gave man dominion over the whole earth. And you notice here in the scriptures, I'm sorry to say for some of you, that in the beginning, God created man and woman to eat vegetables and fruit only. There was no meat eaten. There was no bacon. I'm sorry to ruin it at the end of the study here. <laughs> I probably could have cut out this part of the study. But the scripture says, not only... You and I, too, we're vegetarians during this time, but even all the animals. And so you can see potentially what the new heavens and the earth will be like for us in the future. It, but it's going to be what? Good. So God here says God saw everything that he made. Indeed, it was very good. And he did it in six days. 